Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome everyone to the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, an employer guide part two. This is being recorded simultaneously as a video and podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast and you'd like to maybe see more of the information that I'm talking about, please feel free to visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com and view the video. And at that time, you'll also be allowed to print the slides. And what I've done is I've created PowerPoint slides for this recording so that if anyone wants to see some of the detail, um, you'll have that available to you and you can print it. So that might be helpful to you. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and talk about uh, the FFCRA. And I do want to mention that this is just designed as an overview. This is not a dig into the details presentation. As I mentioned, you can go to our website and get the video portion of this, which will have more detail on the slides that I'm actually looking at while I'm recording this. If you want a more detailed presentation, go to our website and you'll find a webinar with myself and Marilyn Monahan from Monahan Law Office that has a lot more details in it and that's more of an educational piece. This is offered to our clients, uh, employer prospects and guests of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Um, in this presentation today and in this podcast I'm also going to include some information from the Department of Labor's FAQs with answers and fact sheet data that will help to assist you. Again the podcast version of this is only intended to be an overview. There were a lot of timeframes involved in this. Uh, This all started here in California on March 5th when the California Department of Insurance and the Department of Managed Healthcare um, put coverage mandates into effect that said you had to cover the screening and testing at 100%. Then on March 18th, FFCRA was signed into law and the health coverage mandate goes into effect on that date as well. On March 24th, the Department of Labor issued guidance on paid sick leave and FMLA expansions under the FFCRA. And on March 25th, the Department of Labor issued a paid sick leave poster and a Q&A that's very, very helpful. By the way, you are required as an employer to post this poster, and I'll talk more about this throughout this today. The effective date of all this is April 1st. Originally, we thought this was going to be effective on April 2nd because that's the date that, according to when the law was signed, the applicable number of days would have passed when it would go into effect. But with the Department of Labor guidance that they put out, they changed the date from April 2nd to make it April 1st. And honestly, that's the best thing they could have done because it makes it much more uh, easy for the employers to administer than obviously trying to start something on April 2nd. So this is going to go into effect again on April 1st, and it's going to be in effect until December 31st, 2020. So it's for the rest of the year. And it includes the FMLA extension, the paid sick leave, that are both mandated by the federal government and the tax credits um, that you can get. And those, again, expire on December 31st, 2020. There have been massive amounts of information released to date, and there's more to come. So just keep that in mind, and remember to keep checking back uh, because the government websites are constantly changing. They're constantly putting out new guidance. Um, For the first couple of weeks, it was almost hourly rather than daily. Uh, Hopefully it'll slow down a little bit, but uh, especially between, you know, the date it was signed on the 18th of March and April 1st, uh, you can anticipate a lot of changes and a lot of additional information being released by the government. There are tax credits that are available to employers to assist them with the cost of offering these uh, required leaves. 
These provisions basically affect employers between 1 and 500 employees, and they also have special provisions potentially for employers with under 50 employees. You can potentially file for hardship status on that and not have to comply, but again, that is not guaranteed. There's documentation involved, and we're waiting for additional guidance on that. If you have more than 500 employees, first of all, if you're kind of close or you have common interests in several companies, that sort of thing, um, you want to pay close attention to that to see how it applies to see whether or not you meet that 500 and above threshold. First of all, you want to consider the existing laws. Yes, they did put in these new laws for uh, mandated uh, paid family leave and mandated paid sick time, but that does not mean the existing laws go away. So keep in mind that you have the FMLA, the old FMLA here in California. You also have the CFRA. Uh, those leaves are generally unpaid. You have the California paid sick leave. California leave for participation in school activities and these aren't going to go away on April 1st they're going to continue so you need to figure out how to co-mingle these and and uh, co-administer these because it's a little bit complicated at times there are some existing wage replacement laws and insurances available that I'm sure you're all familiar with but just as a reminder there's California paid sick leave paid family leave the PFL there's state disability insurance there's short-term disability, unemployment insurance, and workers' compensation. They do have a chart of all of this on the Department of Labor website. With this law, the most important thing to remember is that employer size absolutely matters. Again, as I briefly mentioned at the beginning, the FFCRA is paid sick leave and, and uh, FMLA for employers that have less than 500 employees. And there are exemptions, of course, as I said, potentially for those under 50. Uh, if you're above 500, then basically the paid sick leave and FMLA rules do not apply to you. Uh, you can always be more generous than the law requires, and you can always add some benefits to your employees for that, but you're not required to do so. Again, if you're under 50, the DOL is supposed to be issuing some simple and clear criteria that will clearly articulate the standard for demonstrating the jeopardy to the viability of the business going forward. Uh, just keep that in mind. Um, nothing's out yet. Hopefully by the time this is released, uh, this podcast and this video, hopefully we'll have some additional guidance by that point. But definitely check our website, check the DOL website um, for updates as they come through. You need to document why if you're trying to get the exemption. They don't want you to send any materials to the Department of Labor, but again, they are expecting some guidance to be published soon. Let's talk about the most common questions relating to paid sick leave under FFCRA. FFCRA for the first time provides federal government requirements for required paid leave. If an employee is unable to work or telework, the employer must provide paid sick leave due to a need for the leave because of one of six items. I also want to go back and repeat what I just said, unable to work or telework. So if they're able to do their jobs from home or from another location, that does not mean they're off work. They're still working. So therefore, these laws and these provisions would not apply. But Assuming that they're unable to work or telework, the employer must provide paid sick leave due to the need of the leave because of, again, six of them. Number one, the employee is subject to federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order related to COVID-19. Number two, the employee has been advised by a health care provider to self-quarantine due to concerns related to COVID-19. Number three, the employee is experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and seeking a medical diagnosis. For these first three items... The pay would be full pay for those three. There are three additional items for which they would be paid at two-thirds pay. And that is, number four, the employee is caring for an individual who is subject to an order as described in number one above or number two above. 
Number five, the employee is caring for a son or daughter if the school or place of care for the son or daughter has been closed or the child care provider of such son or daughter is unavailable due to COVID-19 precautions. And number six, the employee is experiencing any other substantially similar conditions specified by the Secretaries of Health and Human Services, Treasury, or the Department of Labor. So, again, the first three were full pay. The last three are two-thirds pay. So let's talk more about paid sick leave under FFCRA. It's effective, again, April 1st and goes through December 31st of 2020. It is not retroactive. The amount is the regular pay for the first three items that I talked about and two-thirds pay for the last three items that I talked about. The maximums are $511 a day and an aggregate of $5,110 for items 1, 2, and 3. That's the full pay items. Or $200 a day and $2,000 aggregate for 4, 5, and 6. Those are the two-thirds pay categories. The duration is 80 hours for full-time employees and average hours worked in a two-week period for part-time employees. It's for immediate use. It cannot require the use of any other sick leave to be paid first. For example, if someone has 40 hours of PTO booked, you cannot require them to take that PTO first and then take the leave. If someone has zero hours of regular PTO booked, they can still take up to 80 hours, even if they have no hours booked in, on their normal uh, paid time off. This is not a carryover law. It sunsets or expires on December 31st of 2020. There's not anything to be paid out at termination. There is a notice requirement. The DOL released that poster on March 25th, and you'll want to make sure that you have that and print that and post it all over your work site where you post all of your normal postings. If the employees are off work and not coming to work, um, you have some of the people that are teleworking, that sort of thing, you need to be able to get that information out to all of your employees, even if they're not on site. So you want to put that on your company's internet or you can also email it to them, but you do need to notify everyone what their rights are. It's a rights notice for them. Employers cannot discipline, terminate, or discriminate if someone uses their FFCRA leave. Now the poster, as I mentioned, is available at the DOL website, and if you can't find it, you can just Google <laughs> Department of Labor uh, employee rights poster, COVID-19, anything like that, and it'll come up on a Google search, trust me. The poster, first part of the poster says, employee rights, paid sick leave, and expanded family medical leave under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. It's colorful. It's just a brief one-page um, one page poster, uh, and you do need to post that, as I said, in your common areas of your workplace where you post all of your other posters, as well as making sure that the people that aren't on site right now are receiving that. A day later, after they released this poster, they released actually a more detailed poster. Um, it basically says the same thing, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, Employee Paid Leave Rights, just a little bit more detailed, and it's available in both English and Spanish. So if you need something in Spanish, you might want to include this poster instead of this the little bit simpler poster that I just talked about. Um, let's talk now about FMLA under FFCRA. The effective date is April 1 again, as I mentioned, and expires on sunsets on December 31st, 2020. And FMLA is amended to add a new basis for up to 12 weeks of leave because of a qualifying need related to a public health emergency, which means that the employee is unable to work or telework due to a need for leave to care for the son or daughter under the age of 18 of such employee if their school or place of care has been closed or the child care provider of such son or daughter is unavailable due to a public health emergency. The eligible employee must have worked for the employer for at least 30 days and the covered employer again is an employer that has fewer than 500 employees. FMLA under FFCRA works like this. The first 10 days is unpaid. The employee may elect to use accrued sick 
vacation, personal or medical leave for that first unpaid 10 days. And then the paid leave after that first 10 days is paid under this law. How much do you pay? You pay two thirds of their regular rate of pay. The maximum is $200 a day and $10,000 aggregate. The Department of Labor has authority to issue regulations for good cause to exclude certain healthcare providers and emergency responders from definitions of employees. There is an exemption for small businesses with fewer than 50 employees when the imposition of the requirements would jeopardize the viability of that business. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about calculating the pay and keep in mind this is an overview. If you want more detailed information, you should definitely go check out our website and watch the webinar because Marilyn Monahan goes into this at quite a bit uh, more detail than I will today. So when you're calculating this, there's a full rate of pay or two-thirds rate of pay. The employers are going to receive for each applicable hour the greater of either their regular rate of pay for the last six months or the federal minimum wage in effect under the FLSA or the applicable state or local minimum wage. The uh, regular rate of pay includes commissions, tips, and piece rates, so that's really important if you're dealing with salespeople or if you're dealing with waiters or waitresses or something like that. So again, regular rate of pay includes commissions, tips, and piece rates. There are maximums that apply. The Department of Labor says please note that the pay does not need to include a premium for overtime hours so keep that in mind as well so if an employee is paid $21 per hour the amount paid is 80 hours times $21 per hour which is equal to $1680 and if the employee is paid $21 an hour and they're entitled to two-thirds pay then you take the amount paid of 80 hours times $14 and $14 is two-thirds of the $21 so 80 times 14 is $1120 and again if you want more detailed uh, calculation information go to our webinar and they're also going to be I believe uh, introducing some additional guidance on this as well now there are tax credits involved they're basically in effect from April 1st 2020 to December 31 the benefit that's available to employers is a payroll tax credit for all of the paid sick time and all of the FMLA extension payments that you make to your employees the payroll tax credit is a hundred percent up to the limit that's allowed for the paid leave under the FFCRA payroll tax credit will include an amount attributable to the employer cost for the health care coverage so you can include your costs that you're paying for their health care coverage while they're out Keep in mind self-funded plans. We don't have guidance yet on how to calculate that cost of coverage because you're self-insured. You don't have a defined premium amount. At this point, we're assuming that it's probably going to be your COBRA rates. Again, check back to see if that's indeed the situation when they release additional information on this. The process on this is a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset against your payroll taxes. They're supposed to be issuing guidelines this week. Uh, there weren't any as of the time of my recording, but check back on the government websites. Our website will be updated as soon as we receive that information as well. This is not available to government employers, and the Department of Labor is supposed to be issuing a 30-day non-enforcement policy just to make sure that employers get up to speed on this. If you need more information on tax credits, please see the Department of Treasury website. I want to briefly mention health savings accounts because people are concerned about that. The IRS has released notice 2020-15. It says that you are still eligible to contribute to an HSA even if your plan covers medical care services associated with testing and treatment for COVID-19 uh, below or without a deductible. So you don't have to worry about that with your health savings account. There are options available to employees uh, that were terminated and laid off. So those of you employers that are concerned about your employees that you need to terminate or lay off during this time, keep in mind you still have COBRA options that you can offer your employees and they can go to their own state marketplaces. 
Here in California, we have covered California, and they do allow for special enrollment for loss of a job within 30 days of that event. So make sure that your uh, terminated employees are aware of that. That's probably a smart thing to do as well. Keep in mind, if they opt for covered California or whatever your state marketplace is, they potentially could be eligible for subsidies, and that could be in their favor greatly. So keep that in mind as well. And it's also possible that they may potentially qualify for free coverage under Medi-Cal. So it really depends on where the family um, income is, the household income. But uh, that's obviously something you want to notify your terminated or laid-off employees about. It may be a better option to them than COBRA. I want to talk now about the Department of Labor uh, wage and hour FAQs because they're there to assist you and how to figure all this out. So what I'm going to do is pull the most common questions in the podcast. I'm just going to give you brief, simple answers that you can absorb as you're listening to a podcast. If you're watching the video, you will see the slides. They have a lot more information on them. And those of you that want more information, if you're just listening to the podcast, again, go to our website. You'll be able to watch the video and see the slides. You'll also be able to print the slides and you'll be able to get a lot more detail than you would from the uh, listening just to the podcast. So I want to talk first about how do I know if my business is under 500 employees? Because that's pretty important if you're kind of right on the border there or if you have common interests in companies and you're not quite sure how you fall on this. This is a really important question. So if you have fewer than 500 employees, if at the time your employee leave is to be taken and you employ fewer than 500 full-time and part-time employees within the United States, which includes the District of Columbia and the territories in possession of the United States, that's when it applies. And in making this determination, you should include employees that are on leave temporary employees who are jointly employed by you and another employer regardless of whether the jointly employed employees are maintained on only your or another employee's payroll. It also includes day laborers supplied by a temporary agency regardless of whether you are a temporary agency of the client firm if there is a continuing employment relationship. Workers who are independent contractors under the Fair Labor Standards Act, FSLA, rather than employees, are not considered employees for the purposes of determining whether or not you're over 500. If you're a corporation that has joint ownership interest and in other corporations, the two corporations are separate employers unless they are joint employers under the FLSA with respect to certain employees. In general, two or more entities are separate employers unless they meet the integrated employer test under the Family Medical Leave Act of 1993. What about part-time employees? How do you count those? A part-time employee is entitled to leave for his or her average number of hours worked in a two-week period. So you can take a look at what they normally work and if you don't know that, if it varies a lot, you can use a six-month average. Let's take a look again at the under 50 exception because that's where a lot of our questions are coming from. What if they're under 50? What can we do? To elect the small business exception, you should document why your business with fewer than 50 employees meets the criteria set forth by the department, which will be addressed in more detail in forthcoming regulations. Again, this is what we're waiting for, so hopefully that'll be released very soon. Again, they're saying that you should not be sending any materials to the Department of Labor when seeking a small business exemption for paid sick leave and expanded FMLA. When you're calculating pay that's due to the employees, is overtime included? Yes, the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act requires you to pay an employee for hours the employee would have been normally scheduled to work, even if that's more than 40 hours per week. However, the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act requires that paid sick leave be paid only up to 80 hours over a two-week period. So again, you need to keep in mind that it's different between the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Act and the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act. 
Can an employee take the 80 hours twice? No. Employees may take up to two weeks or 10 days, 80 hours for a full-time employee or for a part-time employee, the number of hours equal to the average number of hours the employee works over a typical two-week period of paid sick leave uh, for any combination of qualifying reasons. However, the total number of hours for which the employee receives paid sick leave is capped at 80 hours under the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act, so you'll never have to pay more than 80 hours. What about an employee dealing with school or daycare closures? That's a pretty common question that we're getting. They may be eligible for both types of leave, but only for a total of 12 weeks of paid leave. Employees may take both paid sick leave and expanded family and medical leave to care for their child whose school or place of care is closed or child care providers unavailable due to COVID-19 related reasons. The Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act provides for an additional two weeks of paid leave. This period thus covers the first 10 workdays of the expanded family and medical leave, which are otherwise unpaid under the Emergency and Family Medical Leave Expansion Act, unless the employee elects to use existing vacation, personal, or medical or sick leave under their employer's policy. After the first 10 workdays have elapsed, the employee will receive two-thirds of their regular rate of pay for the hours they would have been scheduled to work in the subsequent 10 weeks under the Emergency and Family Medical Expansion Act. Please note that you can only receive the additional 10 weeks of expanded family and medical leave under the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act for leave to care for your child whose school or place of care is closed or child care providers unavailable due to COVID-19 related reasons. Can my employer deny me sick pay if my employer gave me paid leave for reason identified in the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act prior to the act going into effect? No, the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act imposes a new leave requirement on employers that's effective beginning on April 1, 2020. Is all leave under FMLA now paid leave? No, the only type of family and medical leave that is paid is expanded family and medical leave under the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act when such leave exceeds 10 days. This includes only leave taken because the employee must care for a child whose school or place of care is closed or the child care provider is unavailable due to COVID-19 related reasons. How do I know whether I've been employed for the last 30 days by my employer for purposes of the expanded family and medical leave? You are considered to have been employed by your employer for at least 30 calendar days if your employer had you on the payroll for 30 calendar days immediately prior to the day your leave would begin. For example, if you want to take leave on April 1st, 2020, you would need to have been employed on your employer's payroll as of March 2nd, 2020, and that's because, of course, March had 31 days. If you've been working for a company as a temporary employee and the company subsequently hires you on a full-time basis, you may count any days you previously worked as a temp toward that 30-day period. This assumes that you are not a federal employee. Now I want to talk about some newly released additional FAQs that the Department of Labor Wage and Hour FAQs added to the existing FAQs. So if you checked them the first couple of days, you need to check them again because in the afternoon or evening of uh, March 26th, they did expand those. The original one had 14 questions and answers, and, and then after that, they, they added them. So it was the same first 14, and then they added 15 to the end, which I think was in the mid-30s or something. So there were a lot more questions there, and I'm including here uh, some of the more important ones and some of the ones that um, I'm asked most about. What records does an employer need when an employee takes paid sick leave or expanded FMLA? If they take paid sick leave, appropriate documentation in support of the reason for the leave, including the employee's name, qualifying reason for requesting the leave, a statement that the employee is unable to work, including telework for that reason, and the date or dates for which the leave is requested. They also want to know the source of any quarantine or isolation order or the name of the health care provider who has advised you to self-quarantine. 
if you intend to claim a tax credit under the FFCRA for your payment of the sick time wages, which I'm sure you all will, you should retain the documentation in your records. If they're taking expanded family and medical leave, appropriate documentation in support of such leave, just as you would for conventional FMLA relief requests, are going to be required. For example, this could include a notice that has been posted on the government school or daycare website or a published newspaper or an email from an employee or official of the school, place of the care, or child care provider. So it's very similar to federal FMLA, the standard FMLA for that. What about teleworking? When am I able to telework under FFCRA? You may telework when your employer permits or allows you to perform work while you are at home or at a location other than your normal workplace. Telework is work for which you are receiving normal wages uh, and is not compensated under the paid leave provisions for the FFCRA. What does it mean to be unable to work, including telework, for COVID-19 related reasons? You are unable to work if your employer has work for you and one of the COVID-19 qualified reasons set forth in FFCRA prevents you from being able to perform that work either under normal circumstances at your normal work site or by means of telework. If you and your employer agree that you will work your normal working hours but outside of your normally scheduled hours, for example, early in the morning or late at night, then you're able to work and the leave is not necessary unless a COVID-19 qualified reason prevents you from working that schedule. If I am or become unable to telework, am I entitled to paid sick leave or expanded family medical leave? If your employer permits teleworking and you are unable to perform those tasks or work the required hours because of one of the qualifying reasons for paid sick leave, then you're entitled to take paid sick leave. Similarly, if you're unable to perform those teleworking tasks or work the required teleworking hours because you need to care for your child, then you are entitled to take the expanded family and medical leave. May I take my paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave intermittently while teleworking? The DOL says yes, if your employer allows it and if you're unable to telework your normal schedule of hours due to one of the qualifying reasons in the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act. Similarly, if you are prevented from teleworking your normal schedule of hours because you need to care for your child, you and your employer may agree that you can take the expanded family medical leave intermittently while teleworking. May I take my paid sick leave intermittently while working at my usual work site? as opposed to teleworking. It depends on why you're taking paid sick leave and whether your employer agrees. Unless you are teleworking, paid sick leave for qualifying reasons related to COVID-19 must be taken in full day increments. It cannot be taken intermittently if the leave is being taken because you are subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order. You've been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine. You're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and seeking a diagnosis. You're caring for an individual who is either subject to the quarantine order uh, or has been advised by a healthcare worker to self-quarantine due to concerns of COVID-19, or if you are experiencing any other substantially similar condition specified by the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. May I take my expanded family and medical leave intermittently while my child's school or place of care is closed or the child care provider is unavailable due to COVID-19 related reasons if I am not teleworking? Yes, but only with your employer's permission. If my employer closed my work site before April 1st, can I still get paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave? No. If prior to the effective date, your employer sent you home and stops paying you because it does not have work for you to do, you will not get any paid sick leave or any expanded family medical leave, but you may be eligible for unemployment insurance. If my employer closes my work site on or after April 1st, but before I go out on leave, can I still get paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave? The answer is no. If your employer closes after FFCRA's effective date, even if you requested leave prior to the closure, you will not get paid sick leave or expanded family medical leave. 
but you may be eligible, of course, for unemployment insurance benefits. If my employer closes my work site while I'm on paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave, what happens? The answer is, if your employer closes while you're on paid sick leave or expanded family or medical leave, your employer must pay for any paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave that you used before the employer closed. As of the date that the employer closes your work site, you are no longer entitled to paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave, but you may be eligible for unemployment insurance. If my employer remains open but furloughs me on or after April 1st, can I receive paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave? The answer is no. If your employer furloughs you because it does not have enough work or business for you, you are not entitled to then take paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave. If my employer closes my work site on or after April 1st but tells me that it will reopen at some time in the future, can I receive paid sick leave or extended family and medical leave? The DOL's answer is no, not while your worksite is closed. If your employer closes your worksite, even for a short period of time, you are not entitled to take paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave. If my employer reduces my scheduled work hours, can I use paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave for the hours that I am no longer scheduled to work? The answer is no. If your employer reduces your work hours because it does not have work for you to perform, you may not use paid sick time or expanded family medical leave for those hours that you are no longer scheduled to work. You may, however, take paid sick leave or expanded family medical leave if a COVID-19 qualified reason prevents you from working your full schedule. May I collect unemployment insurance benefits for the time in which I receive pay for a sick leave and or expanded family and medical leave? The answer is no. If your employer is providing you paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave, you are not eligible for unemployment insurance. Must an employer continue an employee's health care coverage? If your employer provides group medical coverage that you've elected, you are entitled to continue your group health coverage during the expanded family and medical leave on the same terms as if you continued to work. If you are enrolled in family coverage, your employer must maintain coverage during your expanded family and medical leave. You generally must continue to make any normal contributions to the cost of your health care coverage. So whatever your contributions were before, you're expected to continue to pay those contributions. As an employee, may I use my employer's pre-existing leave entitlements and my FFCRA paid sick leave and expanded family medical leave concurrently for the same hours? No, you cannot. If you're eligible to take paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave under FFCRA, as well as paid leave that's already provided by your employer, unless your employer agrees, you must choose one type of leave to take. You may not simultaneously take both unless your employer agrees to allow you to supplement the amount you receive from paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave under FFCRA up to your normal earnings with a pre-existing leave. Can an employer supplement or adjust pay mandated by FFCRA? If your employee chooses to use existing leave that you have provided, yes. Otherwise, no. If I'm an employer, may I require an employee to supplement or adjust the pay mandated under the FFCRA with paid leave that the employee may have under my paid sick leave policy? The answer is no. Under the FFCRA, only the employee may decide whether to use existing paid vacation, personal, medical, or sick leave from your uh, paid leave policy to supplement the amount that the employee receives from the paid sick leave or expanded family and medical leave. Can an employer pay more than the employees are entitled? According to the DOL, you may pay your employees in excess of the FFCRA requirements, but you cannot claim the additional amounts. Uh, on any tax credits. So keep that in mind. You're only going to get the tax credit for what the law allows for. I want to caution you and suggest to all of you that you should consult with your employment law firm 
before you do any layoffs, before you do any terminations or furloughs because of COVID-19 business interruptions, it's really important that you dot your I's, you cross your T's, you make sure that you've considered all the options and only an employment law firm is going to be able to do that for you properly because all situations, of course, vary. So we uh, highly encourage you to check all your bases and make sure that you've looked at all your options to make sure that you're acting appropriately and that you have all of your policies in place, you have everything that you need, your paperwork completed and everything because we don't want you to get in trouble for this. So please, please, please consult your employment law firm before making any serious decisions. We do have some important resources that are available to you on our website uh, as well as all the government websites. But sometimes people have told me it's easier to go to one spot to get all of them than to go to 15 different websites. So if you want an easier way, I guess you can go to our website, advancedbenefitconsulting.com. We're trying to update that as frequently as we can. Lately, I've been updating it like daily, sometimes three times a day. Um, but here, if you're listening to the podcast, you won't see this, but on the video, you will see some of the most important ones from California and the United States government. Um, but feel free to go onto our website, as I said, and, and check out all of them. And they have really great information. All these guidances and everything are all posted there, the posters, everything else. I'd like to provide special thanks to Marilyn Monahan from Monahan Law Offices in Marina Del Rey, California. She's been helping me nonstop. And I just wanted to thank her for her countless hours helping me to understand these provisions and assisting me with the creation and the presentation of our uh, educational webinar that we had for our clients last week. And I just want to say thank you for all the follow-up and all the help um, all the way through this process. So a very sincere thanks to Marilyn Monahan. I couldn't have done this without you. I want to provide our standard disclaimer, although you'll hear about that more at the end of this uh, podcast and video with our standard disclaimer saying that we're not providing legal advice, but I do want to mention that now. If you do have questions, you can feel free to contact me. My name again is Dorothy Koshu, and the last name is spelled C-O-C-I-U. I'm the president of Advanced Benefit Consulting. I can be reached on my direct line at 714-693-9754, extension 3, or you can email me at dmkoshu at advancedbenefitconsulting.com. That's again D M as in Mary, Koshu, C-O-C-I-U, at advancedbenefitconsulting.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening or for watching the video. Please, everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and if you are suffering from the coronavirus right now or someone in your family is or close friends or something, our hearts and prayers go out to them and uh, their speedy recovery. And please remember that we're all in this together, and I will continue to provide as many updates as I can to our listeners and our viewers and our clients as well. So please, everyone, take care. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll-free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.